You know what's hard? Faith. Faith is hard. I don't want to trivialize it. I don't want to make it seem like, you know what, faith is easy. If, if you just believe, everything's going to turn out all right. Everything's going to be just fine. Everything's going to be great. I think that trivializes faith and, and how difficult faith can be and how hard faith can be. You know, it's, it's hard to believe, especially when you can't see. It can be very hard to believe when you can't see. And you know what? In today's Bible story we're going to look at, I find that it can be hard to believe even when you can see. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But you want to know how I know that it's hard to believe when you can't see? Jesus said it was. In John chapter 20, verse 29, he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That there is a special blessing for those who don't see and yet believe. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Peter wrote, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's a wonderful thing. The reward of faith is salvation. And that is a tremendous thing. It is a wonderful thing to have this gift of salvation that God gives to us. But it is still hard. Faith is, is hard. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the author of Hebrews said, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's a reward and it is confidence and assurance that comes by faith. But it takes a step of faith and that's not always easy. Faith can be hard. We've been talking about dealing with doubts for the last six weeks. We've looked at different stories from the Bible where people had doubts they doubted God, they doubted Jesus, they doubted their faith, they doubted themselves. And we've looked at these different stories about doubt. We uh, talked about Abraham and Sarah uh, several weeks ago, and we talked about how Abraham and Sarah laughed in the face of God. They LOL'd at God. They laughed at God when God told them that they were going to have a baby late in life. And sure enough, God had the last laugh, and they had a baby late in life. We talked about Peter as he walked on the water and how he kept his eyes on Jesus for a little bit of time and he was able to walk on water but then doubt started to creep in when he saw the wind and the waves and he started to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus and Jesus reached out immediately and picked him up and brought him back to the surface of the water we talked about Gideon last week and how Gideon tested God three times he tested him three times because he had fear and he had doubt he didn't believe that God could do what he had promised to do through Gideon so we tested him three times. Next week, we're going to start a new sermon series called Face to Face. These are stories where people had an, a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. And maybe you're wondering, what would Jesus say to me if he were here today? If he walked into this room, what would he walk up to me and say? We're going to talk about some of those things over the next several weeks. Starting next Sunday on Easter Sunday, we're going to have a, talk about a conversation that Jesus had face-to-face -face with a woman who came to see him after he was resurrected. And we're going to talk about several different stories from now until Memorial Day about how Jesus talked to people face-to-face, one-on-one. Today, though, we're talking about the disciples of Jesus. We're talking about his disciples and how some of them doubted. They doubted what was right in front of their eyes. They doubted what they could see. 
But the cool thing about the story is that despite their doubts, Jesus was still able to use them. Despite their doubts, Jesus was able to give them a mission and to give them a purpose. And I believe that a lot of people are looking for mission in life. They're looking for purpose in life. And they may, they may feel like, well, I, I, I think that God could use me to do something. I think that God could give me a purpose, but I don't know. I, I don't have enough faith. I, I don't believe enough. I, my doubts are too strong that I don't think that God could use me. That's not true. And we're going to see why today as we look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. We're going to see how we can have mission and purpose in life even if we are doubting. So grab your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one in the pew in front of you. Turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and grab your bulletin and turn to the third page to the handy-dandy outline. You can fill in some blanks in just a few moments. Today's story takes place after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and the people cut down palm branches and they they laid them at his feet and they waved them and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the word Hosanna literally means please help or save us. Please help us or save us. The people were crying out to Jesus that he would help them, that he would save them. It is a cry of our hearts still today as we need Jesus in our lives. We cry out to him and we pray that he would help us that he would save us. Then Jesus went into Jerusalem and he cleared the temple. He drove out the money changers because they were cheating the pilgrims. They were cheating the worshipers. Uh, They would come to offer sacrifices for Passover. And those who traveled a long way couldn't bring all their sacrifices with them. So they would go into the temple and they would purchase sacrifices or they would change their currency in order to give an offering. And the money changers and those selling the sacrifices were cheating the people. They were between a rock and a hard place. They had to offer a sacrifice. They had to give an offering. And they were at the mercy of those who would sell them the the sacrifices and at the mercy of those who would change their currency. And they were cheating the people. And so Jesus drove them out. Said that you have turned my my father's house into a den of robbers. My father said that his would be a house of prayer. You have turned it into a den of thieves. Well, then a few days later, Judas agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he, handed, he, uh, he had Jesus arrested. He told, he told the Romans where he was going to be, and Jesus was arrested. And he was taken and he was tried. He was uh, tried before Pilate. And Pilate said, I find no fault in the man. But while he was on trial, not only was Jesus betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of his disciples, but he was also, he was, the, the fact that he was even known by one of his other friends, one of his closest friends, Peter, Peter denied knowing that he knew Jesus three times. Could you imagine your best friend and denying the fact that you even know them? Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you, do you know that guy? No, I've never heard of him. Well, well, he said that he's your best friend. Nope, don't even know the man. What are you talking about? I saw you having pizza with him last week. You don't know him? Nope have no idea who you're talking about. That's what Peter did to Jesus. He denied that he even knew him three times. And Jesus, like I said, was on trial for his life. And Pilate could not find any fault in Jesus. And then he, he, he said, a, it was a tradition that they would set a prisoner free. And so they had two prisoners. There was Jesus and there was a, a criminal named Jude, uh, Barabbas. And what did uh, Pilate do? He allowed the crowd to make a choice. 
Who will you choose? Will it be Jesus or Barabbas? And the Jews had incited the people to cry out for Barabbas. And they screamed, Barabbas, Barabbas. Well, what should I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. Just a week earlier, the crowd had cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, please help us, save us. And now they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And that's what happened. Jesus was handed over to be flogged and beaten. And then he was nailed to a Roman cross with nails in his hands and his feet. And he gave up his spirit and he died. But he didn't stay dead. Oh, no. He did not stay dead. He, he died and he was put into a borrowed tomb. And they rolled a large stone in front of that tomb so that there was no way that anyone was getting in and there was no way that he was getting out. But they forgot one thing, that God is bigger than any stone and God can roll away a stone. And that's exactly what he did on the third day, on that first day of the week, on that early s- Sunday morning. God rolled away the stone from in front of the tomb and Jesus walked forth victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the grave. He was alive forevermore. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, Paul wrote, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Jesus appeared to people. People saw him. They saw him alive. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Let's read that. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus was standing before them, alive, in the flesh, standing before them, resurrected and alive. And what does it say? It says they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. He was right there. He was right in front of their eyes. And yet, some doubted. The first blank on your outline this morning is they doubted even though they saw him. They doubted even though they saw him. The 11 disciples could see Jesus. How do I know this? Because when he appeared, what did they do? They bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. And yet Matthew says some of them doubted what they saw. Now several explanations have been offered up as to why this is possible. How could Jesus appear to them and yet they still doubt the fact that he is standing before them? Well, one of the explanations that they offer, that scholars offer, is that perhaps they, they really didn't see him. That they couldn't see him clearly. They didn't have a clear view of Jesus. Yet verse 17 says... That when they saw him, they worshipped him. They knew that it was him. They weren't mistaken. 
They didn't say, oh, that might be Jesus, or I wonder if that really is him. No, when they saw him, they bowed down and worshipped him. Yet some doubted. Some have said that maybe it was the 500 that Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe it was the 500 that was gathered with them. And the 11 disciples, well, they believed, but the rest of the people there, they doubted. But that's not what Matthew says. Matthew doesn't say that there were 500 people there. Matthew says it's the 11 went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, and he met them there. It was the 11 disciples who were there. They worshipped, they bowed down, they worshipped him, and yet some doubted. You know, in Matthew's gospel, the disciples are portrayed as very human. They're very, very human. They doubt. They struggle. They sin. They gripe. They complain. They fight with one another. The disciples in Matthew's gospel are very, very human. And you know what? I think that in this passage of Scripture, in Matthew 28, 16, and 17, I think the disciples were just being themselves. They were having a hard time believing what they were seeing. They were having a hard time believing what they were seeing. And you know what this tells me about faith? It tells me that faith is hard. Faith's not easy. And we want to make it sound like it's easy. We want to make it sound like it's not that difficult, like it's not that hard. But I don't think that's true. I think that faith is hard. I mean, if it was hard for them to believe what they were seeing, they were seeing Jesus face to face. They were seeing him right there. If it was hard for them to believe that they were seeing Jesus and seeing what was right in front of their eyes, how much harder is it for us who cannot see? How much harder is faith for us when we cannot see Jesus? You know how God treats those who doubt? You know how God treats people who doubt? We may be tempted to think that God gets angry with us when we doubt. That God is frustrated with us when we doubt. That God is is angry and, and that he's disappointed in us when we doubt. I don't think that's true. Do you know why? Here's why. Because I believe that God treats us with mercy when we doubt. Do you want to know why I know this? Because of, of a passage of scripture in, in the book of Jude, verse 22. Jude 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. And why should we be merciful? Because God is merciful. In Luke 6:36, Jesus said, "Be merciful just as your Father is merciful." Father is merciful. Our heavenly Father is merciful. He does not give us what we deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not give us the punishment that we deserve. He does not treat us as our unrighteousness deserves. Rather, God is merciful to us. We should therefore be merciful to others. Jude says to be merciful to people who doubt. That means people like us. People, including Christians, who have moments of doubt, who have moments of fear, who have moments of anxiety and worry, that we should be merciful to those who doubt. We don't look down our nose at people who doubt. We don't say, what's the matter with you when people doubt? We are merciful. We say, how can I help you believe? How can I come alongside you and help you in your... In your moments of doubt. How can I strengthen your faith? How can I help strengthen your faith? We are to be merciful to those who doubt. Because there are people who have questions. 
And we have questions too. And we're going to have questions and people are going to have questions and they want answers. They want answers. They want legitimate answers. And we need to be able to provide those answers to people. That's why the study of, of a subject like apologetics is so important. And you're going to hear more about this in the coming months. We want to put together a Bible study in apologetics and how to defend your faith and to know not only what you believe, but to know why you believe it. So you'll be hearing more about that in the coming months. But we need to show mercy to those who have a hard time with faith. Many of us have been there before. How many of you have ever been there before, had moments of doubt? Yep. I know I have. I've been there. I've had those moments of doubt. And God was patient with me. And God is patient with you. And God is merciful to those who doubt. And we need to be merciful just as God is merciful, especially to those who doubt. The second blank on your outline this morning is Jesus gave them a mission despite their doubts. Jesus gave the disciples a mission despite their doubts. That's really cool. To me, that's a really cool thing about this story is that the disciples doubted. They, they, they were standing right there and they could see him and yet they still doubted the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't berate them. He doesn't get angry with them. He gives them a purpose and he gives them a mission. This mission that he gives to them forms the basis of our vision here at GFCC. We want to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And where that comes from is right out of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's what we want to do, is we want to make more and better disciples of Jesus. We want to help people get to know Jesus. We want to help people grow in a relationship with Jesus. We want to help people follow Jesus. That's what our vision is. That's what our mission is. A mission statement we repeat every Sunday. Purpose of the First Christian Church is to make disciples who love God, love others, and spread the gospel. That's about being a faithful follower of Jesus. And so God, Jesus gave his disciples a three-step plan, a three-step mission to make more and better disciples. The first step is going. First step is going. Now, it doesn't mean that you are where you are and that you go over there and make disciples. No, this word going is a participle in the Greek, and it means that while you are going, make disciples along the way. So that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, whatever you're doing, make disciples along the way. Help people follow Jesus along the way. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples to do. Everywhere we go, people are looking uh, for something. People are looking for answers. And everywhere we go, we should be looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. We should be looking for opportunities to help people follow Jesus. That's the commission that God has given to us. That is the commission that Jesus has given to us. And we need to remember, faith is hard. And people may not respond to the gospel. People may reject the gospel. People may reject you. They may reject me. They may reject the word of God. They may say, I don't want any part of your gospel. I don't want any part of your Jesus. Because faith is hard. People may not respond, but this is still our mission. The world may reject Jesus, but that is no excuse not to fulfill the Great Commission. That is no excuse not to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
The second step is how we do this, and that is by baptizing. By baptizing. This is how we make more disciples. We share our faith with people. We tell them about Jesus, and they follow him, and then they are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that is part of the biblical plan of salvation. That is how people are saved. Now, baptism is not the end goal. That is not just get wet and and then you're good to go. That's not the end goal. We'll talk about that in a second. But rather, baptism is a part of God's plan of salvation. The first part is you've got to believe. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe that God sent his son to die for your sins. You need to repent. That means to turn away from your sins and turn to God for forgiveness. You need to confess your faith. You need to publicly say, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe he is the son of the living God. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. We publicly confess our faith. And then we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we go on to live a faithful life following Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a second. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, by God's grace, we are forgiven all of our sins and given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died for our sins. And then, like I said, we repent and we confess and are baptized. And we are baptized by immersion. When we baptize people here, faith comes first and then baptism comes after that. And we baptize by immersion. The reason that we do that is because the Greek word, baptizo, which literally is the word that we transliterate to baptism, that Greek word literally means to to submerge, to plunge, to dip, to immerse. It's a word that is used to describe the washing of dishes. Last night, I, uh, every year for the Palm Sunday brunch, I make the same thing. Anybody know what it is? Bacon wrapped date. I made three pounds of them last night. You might get one. You might get one. If the entire kitchen staff hasn't consumed them all, by the time we get to the Palm Sunday brunch, you might get one. But I washed my dishes last night. I washed my pants to make sure they're nice and clean to make my dates on. And uh, I, I take my, my cookie sheet, and I take it, and I fill the sink with water. I take the cookie sheet, I dip it in the water, I plunge it under the water, I take my sponge, I clean it all up, I make sure it's nice and clean so nobody gets sick from my bacon-wrapped dates. That would be the worst thing ever. Such deliciousness, such pain. No, that's not good. So I take, the, I take it, and I plunge it under the water, I wash it all up, I rinse it off, I dry it off, I'm ready to cook. When we get baptized, we go under the water. We are buried with Christ and raised to new life. We go under the water and God washes away our sins. He cleans us from our sins and he washes away our sins. That's what the picture of baptism is. It is a washing. It is a rebirth. It is a renewal. It is a new life by the power of God's grace. The third step is teaching. We need to teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. That's how we make better disciples. We make more disciples by sharing our faith and baptizing them. We make better disciples by teaching people to obey Jesus, to fully surrender their lives to him, to hold nothing back, to say, I am a fully devoted, fully surrendered, fully sold out follower of Jesus Christ. That is the goal, is to be fully surrendered to Jesus, holding nothing back. Following Jesus will cost you something. It will cost you something. And are you prepared to pay the price? Are you prepared? Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Are you ready to follow him, to hold nothing back? 
Following Jesus means that we give everything up. Everything up that, that keeps us from following him, that keeps us from doing what we're supposed to do, that keeps us from following him closely. Anything that gets in the way between you and Jesus, you give that up. Say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. I'm going to go where he goes. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to tell other people about him. I'm going to give everything to follow Jesus Christ because he gave everything for me. He suffered and died on the cross for my sins. He gave up his life for me. Now I must live for him. He died for me. I will live for him. Following Jesus means that nothing gets in the way to be completely sold out, completely devoted, completely dedicated to him. And Griffith First Christian Church is committed to doing whatever it takes to help people follow Jesus. And that is, we want to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ so that there's somebody who has never heard the good news. We want them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because it is good news. It is wonderful news that you can be freed from sin. You can be free from the consequences and punishment of sin. You can be free for all eternity to live in the presence of God in heaven. It's by the sacrifice of Jesus. That was the purpose for the disciples. That was the purpose for us. That is our purpose. That is our mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Like I said, Faith, faith can be hard. Faith is hard. It's not always easy to believe sometimes. It's not easy to believe sometimes. Doubts arise. Fears overcome us. We may feel like we're no use to God. God can't use me. I have doubts. God can't use me. I'm too scared. God can't use me. I I worry too much. How can God possibly use me? It's not true. Jesus gave his disciples a purpose despite their doubts. And he can do the same for you, and he can do the same for me. Have you discovered God's purpose for your life? Have you discovered God's plan for your life and what God wants you to do? Your purpose is the same as that of the doubting disciples, to make more and better disciples of Jesus, to introduce people to Jesus Christ so that they will know that he is the way and the truth and the life And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. God can help you overcome your doubts. God can help you overcome your fears. And God can work through you to help people follow Jesus. God can use you and He can use me to reach people for Jesus Christ. When the disciples doubted, Jesus came to them and He gave them a purpose. He did not reject them. He did not belittle them. He did not berate them. Rather, he had mercy on them, and he gave them a purpose. When we are afraid, when we are full of doubt, Jesus comes to us, and he reminds us of our purpose. He does not reject us. He does not belittle us. He does not berate us. Rather, he loves us, and he comes to us, and to help us overcome our fears and to overcome our doubts. God is merciful to us when we doubt. Let us be merciful to others when they doubt. I have a twofold challenge for you this morning. The first challenge is, if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with doubt, I want to talk to you. I want you to call me. I want you to say, Sean, I need to talk because I got some doubts. I got some fears. I want to talk about them and how I can deal with my doubts. Make an appointment. Come into my office. I'll come over to your house. Whatever you want to do, let's get together. Let's talk about 
what you're going through. Let's talk about your fears, your anxieties, your worries, and your doubts. Don't let your doubts overcome you. The second challenge I have for you today is don't forget your purpose, even if you're doubting. Even if you're doubting, don't forget your purpose. God isn't giving up on you. God will never give up on you. He can strengthen your faith. He can help you overcome your doubts. And don't forget your purpose. There is a world of people outside of these walls who need to hear about Jesus Christ. They need to know that he loves them and that he died for them, that he rose again and is coming back again. And when he does, he is going to take us home to be with him for all eternity. But there are people who don't know that. And they won't go to heaven when they die. We can't let that happen, church. Can we let that happen? No way. We can't let that happen. We have a job. We have a purpose. We have a mission. Are you ready to fulfill the purpose? Are you ready to accomplish the mission? Are you ready to do what Jesus has called us to do? Then even if we doubt, we're going to fulfill the purpose he has for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the Great Commission. The words that Jesus has spoken to, uh, for us to go out and make more and better disciples of Jesus. That people will hear about his love. They will hear about your grace. And they will follow Jesus all the way to eternity. Thank you so much for this time together today. Thank you for your word again. And thank you that you help us overcome our fears. And you help us overcome our doubts. Help us this week, God, to deal with our doubts. So that we may believe even though we do not see. For one day, we know we will see you face to face. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.